All right, so again, Jimmy is gone. We don't know where he is. Hopefully, he'll show up next week. But uh, as I told the Sunday, we, get, we kept Miss Sharon, so that's who we got. We, they asked us, and we said we'd rather have Sharon. So uh, she doesn't talk as much, so... Uh, she actually does, she, she probably, you probably have no idea how much she actually does too, um, from singing to children's church, all kinds of stuff. So today we'll be in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. We're going to be looking at the body of Christ and what Paul uh, kind of commands us to be as the body of Christ. Um, so we'll start by just reading through it. It says this in Romans 12, starting verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment, as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members who belong to one another. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If the gift is prophecy, that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. If it is service, he must serve. If it is teaching, he must teach. If it is exhortation, he must exhort. If it is contributing, he must do so with sincerity. If it is leadership, he must do so with diligence. If it is showing mercy, he must do so with cheerfulness. So today we're going to be talking about community, what it means to be the body of Christ. And at its core, a community is a group of people that surround you in good times to rejoice with you and surround you in the bad times and tell you it's going to be okay. In the first couple of verses of Romans 12 that we didn't read, uh, you're probably pretty familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, he talks about, Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he's just encouraged the Roman Christians to renew their minds as a means of being transformed and as a way to keep from thinking, uh, as a way to keep from being conformed to the present world. So he says, I don't want you to kind of conform to the present world, start to look, think, and act like this world. You need to be different. You need to be set apart. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A renewed mind will take on the right way of thinking about ourselves, the right perspective. I think what follows is, as we read those verses about being the body of Christ, is that Paul is especially concerned with believers attempting transformation by themselves. Believers attempting transformation by themselves. If you think about it, we are all on our personal journeys of faith, right? We're all on our own race. We're all going to stand before God one day and give an account for how we lived. But it's pretty clear through Scripture that we're supposed to do this together. God created the, um, ordained the church, the body of Christ, to do a lot of things. But one of the primary things is that we're supposed to be in this transformation, this renewing of our minds together, and not as individuals. And I think that, um, not just me, but um, I believe that the reason that Paul goes from renewing of your mind, being transformed into this talking about the body of Christ is because he is concerned with us just doing it by ourselves. Um, and if you, if you think about it, um, part of this mind renewal, like I said, is, is thinking about ourselves in the right way, right? He says in verse three, um, I, uh, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Now, why do you think Paul has to tell them and us, that we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. 
This is the part where you say something. It's going to be interactive today. Okay, no one can do it. No one can do it all. That's very true. Why do, why do you think Paul says that we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves? Why does he have to give that command? Yeah, because it's our natural inclination to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. It's not just our inclination here in America. It was their inclination there in Rome. Remember, Rome was the capital city. And there's prestige that comes with that. And a lot of the people that he's writing to are Roman citizens. And that meant a lot back then. And he's saying, I don't want you to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Part of this renewing of our mind is putting ourselves in proper perspective. In other words, as Paul's saying, he's saying, none of you are really that great. None of you are really that awesome. None of you are really all that. If you remember Paul, Paul's background, Paul was a pretty special individual. He was a Jewish man who was born in Tarsus. So that made him what? He was a Roman citizen, but he was also a rabbi. So he had this great amount of influence in the Jewish community. He was also a Roman citizen. Um, He had special rights. He could go anywhere in the Roman Empire unimpeded. In fact, one time after he became a Christian and was um, preaching and saving people in different towns, um, he, got, he got beaten. And then he told the, uh, the people who were beating him, he said, are you really supposed to beat a Roman citizen? And they freaked out. They were scared because they could get in trouble because you weren't allowed to beat a Roman citizen. There were special rights that they had. Paul was uh, this man of status in the Jewish community, this man of status in the Roman community. He's an apostle. And yet he says, you know, we're not supposed to think so highly of ourselves. Um, If you also think of Paul, where did Paul write most of his letters from? Yeah, he was in prison. Um, And Roman prison was was not a place you want to be. Paul went from at the top of the social ladder to the bottom. Eventually he gets beheaded in Rome. And he tells us part of this renewing our mind is to have the proper perspective. Now, this doesn't mean we're supposed to have low self-esteem. He doesn't say, think lesser of yourself than you ought to think. He wants us to be even killed. So we're discernment. Think of ourselves the way we're supposed to. And part of this is going to lead us. This is part of that renewal that leads to transformation. Uh, we have to be mindful of who we are and how sinful we are. So let's break down... Um, this uh, verse three, just a little bit more. He says this. Um, well, first I have a, yeah. If you have too high a view of, your, of ourselves, that is evidence there that we are not being transformed. So we look at verse three a little bit more. Um, how's he start? He says, for, for by the grace given to me. And this is Paul's code. He's basically saying that what he's about to speak, what's, what he's about to say is him as an apostle. So Paul is pretty clear throughout scripture when he's just giving his opinion. He'll say, hey, I'm just giving you my opinion. This isn't from God, although my opinion's pretty good. He'll say that. Like, I know a thing or two. He'll say that. But he's saying, for by the grace given to me. Now, what was Paul's position in the church? What was he? I said it a little, a few minutes ago. He was an apostle, all right? He considered himself one of the 12. He considered himself the apostle that replaced Judas, okay? Um, the, they actually did replace Judas, if you remember, they cast lots and they picked a dude whose name you don't remember. So Paul, okay, Ronnie, calm down. Glad you've, I'm glad you've seen a movie. All right. So Paul, we remember, what did Matthias write? He didn't write nothing. All right. So Paul, Paul, Paul is an apostle and he says, what's coming from me is I'm, is a command from God. This is Paul speaking as an apostle. 
And why should we, besides just the command, God's telling us not to, but what is the reason? Why should we not think too highly of ourselves? Well, he says it in verse 3, it's because our faith comes from God. Our faith comes from God. Um, if you uh, remember in Ephesians 2.8, it famously says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is, it is a gift of God. Even the faith that saves us is a gift from God. And besides that, God has given each of us a measure, an allotment of faith. And I think the faith that he's talking about here specifically, as he goes on to talk about spiritual gifts, is um, talking about the differing capacities that God gives us, that God gives to people to serve their community. And to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought means that we are not to have sinful pride about the gifts that God has given us. Um, If you brag about your spiritual gift, it's a little bit like bragging about how tall you are. You did nothing to be tall. Sorry, tall people. Literally nothing. And this is, I'm not just saying this because I'm short. I'm not jealous. Okay, hey. That's why, that's why I'm on this platform. I dare you to come stand at this bottom of this platform and say that to me. I think that's the only time Ryan and I are at the same level. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything to be tall. You didn't do anything to, uh, you, you didn't create your own spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gifts are gifts. They're gifts from God. And he goes on to say this. He says, for just as in one body, we are many members, uh, n- and not all members serve the same function. Um, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. So just as our body parts have different functions, so we who make up the body of Christ have different purposes and functions. And the point here is twofold. We are useful, we are more useful to God together than we are separate. Um, it's not that we are useless without each other, but we are more useful to God together. Uh, just as a disembodied hand is really not very useful without an arm, a shoulder, etc., we are more useful to God together. And secondly, our differences, the differences in faith, the differences in gifts, etc., are intentional. God intentionally made us diverse. He intentionally gave us different gifts, different skills, different capabilities. It's purposeful. That's the way it's supposed to be. So Jimmy and I aren't pastors here because we're better Christians. It's not like a, a level, a ranking system, whereas if you're like a, a, a better Christian, you get to be pastor, you know, and if you're better than that, you get to be an elder, and maybe if you're better than that, you get to be the deacons, right? They're, they're at the top. That's not how it works. Yeah, they think they're at the top, right? Uh, yeah, that's not how it works. So we, we're pastors because we've been given a specific gift, a gift of exhortation or preaching, however you want to say it, a gift of teaching. Now, that doesn't mean we can't do other things. I don't know about you, but I've met pastors who seem to think, and this Jimmy is not one of them, so I'm not throwing shade at them, but I've met pastors who seem to think that because they're pastors, they can't do anything else, right? And I get it. Sometimes there are bigger churches and and they have a lot on their plate. Um, you know, Peter talks, um, the whole reason they, they created the, um, the office of deacon, just so you know deacons, is because they were bringing these disputes to Peter. 
about um, who was getting, which widows and orphans, the Jewish or, uh, widows were getting more food than the, the Gentile widows. And there's this dispute. And Peter was like, here you go. Here's deacons. Like, we're not going to, I'm trying to save people here, okay? You guys figure this stuff out. Um, but Jimmy and I aren't too good for anything. Um, if you come on campus at different times, you'll see us crawling around. Um, I was replacing this, the thing on this TV last night. Hopefully it doesn't go out on me. Um, Jimmy and I try not to do too much electrical work around here. Um, and, and, and usually when there's bigger tools, Ronnie and the deacons doesn't let Jimmy use them, although he really, really wants to. One time we had a little backhoe or something and he really wanted to. But anyway, we're not too good for anything. There has been church services where I've preached and I've walked out and the first thing that's been said to me is, hey, this toilet stopped up. Okay, it happens. That's life. We're not too good for anything. We just happen to have a gift um, in a certain area. Um, and so do you, every one of you. And the point is we're supposed to use these gifts for the benefit of the community. Until God comes back, he has given us each other. And he, he has given us these gifts to help each other. And Jesus intended us to live in a community. A Christian is not supposed to live their life of faith on their own, just as a hand is not meant to be by itself. However, I don't think we always know what living in community means anymore. And I think that about our culture, not just the church. You might think you're living in community, but are you really? Are we really living in community? I would argue that it's harder to live in community today than it was at the time of the early church. In the early church, um, the church met in someone's house. And you met in the house church of whoever was closest to you. Or if your town was small enough, you might meet at the only house church in town. Um, and all the believers you came in contact with were people that you lived life together with. You went to the market, you worshiped with them, all those kinds of things. And it's different. We have um, tools today. We have uh, the gift of the internet. We have transportation where we can go uh, far distances in a short amount of time, but I, th I think although it has extended our reach, it has come at a cost. I think living in community is tougher today than it used to be. Um, it used to be even that people kind of grew up usually and uh, stayed in the same towns that they grew up in, and they stayed in the community, and you can know that, but that's just, that's just not the way it is anymore. Um, the reality is today that you have dozens of options of churches just in Greenville. And we have people who are in the service today who drive 30 minutes to come to a service. We have people who live in other states who are online right now that join us every week. So we have a challenge. How can you and I and them, how can we be part of a community of believers when at least some of us live and work and go to school, etc., in different places? How do we form and maintain a community today? And the first point that I would like to make is that I, I believe we choose to be intentional. We choose to be intentional. We must make a choice to be intentional about being in community. Let there be no confusion. Attending a church gathering and being part of a community is not the same thing. Attending a church gathering and being part of a community is not the same thing. You and I are called to be more than mere attenders of church. We are called to be a community. And it's going to take a choice. It's going to take effort. It's going to take saying no to other things that are good. It's going to take uh, difficulty. But you and I have to make this choice. Do we want to be people who attend church? Or do we want to be members of a faith community? 
The point I want to make here is that you can't stumble into community. It's something you have to be intentional about. It's something you have to build. It's not something where you just throw a bunch of people together and go, hey, there's community. It takes more than just that. Paul goes on to say this, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who what? Belong to who? To one another. So we as a whole belong to Christ, but we as individuals belong to one another. I don't know if we think about that that much, because I think we get the vertical relationship, right? We all belong to Christ. I think we all understand that. But we belong to one another. God has given us each other. And that's what it means to be a community, to belong to one another. So to form and maintain a community, we have to choose to be intentional, but we also have to develop relationships. You can't be a community of people if you don't know anybody. You have to develop relationships. We have to talk together, spend time together, get involved and be open. Uh, There's a reason it's called building relationships, right? It takes work. It takes effort. Um, Part of it is because uh, we're all sinners, right? And it's difficult because when you open up to people, you risk things. What do you risk when you open up to people? Say what? Vulnerability, Vulnerability, yeah. You're, You're vulnerable. What do you risk? Criticism. Yeah. What else? Rejection. Right? What if they don't like me? What if they reject me? Um, judgment. Disappointment. Uh, it's tough when you realize that even the people you love the most will disappoint you. And it's really tough when you realize that the people you love the most you will disappoint. Because we're sinners. Right? And that's what it takes. Uh, we live in a world that pretends to be open. Uh, Beck was talking a lot about social media, right? Uh, there's, there's social media. We have these profiles, but these are curated lives, right? These aren't our real lives. We show all the cute pictures of CJ when he's smiling and laughing, not when he's like throwing a, a temper tantrum. He, he, he put on a full-fledged, take all his clothes off temper tantrum, all right? He's running around naked screaming, and I'm just like, I hope CBS isn't wandering in my house now and go, why is your child naked and screaming? He was just mad. And he took all his clothes off. I, I've never done that. I don't know where he learned that. Okay? But he did it. But that's life, right? That is what it takes. And why do we do it? Well, we do it because we're supposed to. We do it, as I'm going to say in a minute, because we're hardwired to. But we do it because it's better than being alone. That's what, you, you take a risk. But I'm telling you, it's better than being alone. It's better than being the Christian out by yourself, right? So in this developing relationship, there's, there's a quote here, and I'm going to talk about another thing. It says, and these two quotes that I'm about to read, these are not Christian quotes. These are from people who are doing, um, or they're from articles, scientific articles, that, where they were researching the human brain. And this person says, we are hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. And without it, there is suffering. Another quote says this, humans are hardwired for connection. Neuroscience suggests that we are neurologically wired to connect with others. Mirror neurons in our brain, excuse me, are stimulated when we're interacting with people. Literally, when you are talking to someone, pathways in your brain light up 
to mirror the emotions and behaviors that this other person is conveying. We are hardwired to interact and connect with others. Isn't it funny how science figures this out and the Bible told us that like 2,000 years ago, right? That we're meant to be together. We're hardwired. It's not just, it's how God made us. Not only has God commanded us to be in community, he has created us to need it. Paul goes on to say this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Remember, his gift was an apostle. If the gift is prophecy, then that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. If it is service, he must serve. If it is teaching, he must teach. If it is exhortation, he must exhort. If it is contributing, he must do so with sincerity. If it is leadership, he must do so with diligence. If it is showing mercy, he must do so with cheerfulness. We use our gifts. This is how we form and maintain community. We're supposed to use our gifts to better our community. Now you might ask yourself, well, how, how, can, how do I know? How can I know what my gift from God is? And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of resources out there to try and determine your spiritual gift. Um, I would say that this list that Paul just gave is not an exhaustive list. Um, he's not building a, a, this, this list of everything in God's spiritual gift inventory. But I've got a couple of simple rules to just help you figure out how do I know that my, what my gift from God is. Well, number one, you've got to be good at something. Okay? Do you have to have some kind of talent or skill? So, so if it means that um, every time you, you go up to the front to speak, you start throwing up, then maybe preaching is not for you. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have the gift, but we might want, you know, you might want to see. Um, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at something from the get-go, right? But you have an innate, you have a skill, you have a talent, or you have a drawing towards something. You have a desire. God puts something within you, a desire within you to do something. So you should be good or you should have a skill or a talent or a desire that draws you to something specific. And then it needs to benefit the community of faith. All right. No one has the spiritual gift of selfishness. I'm sorry. That's just not something that God has given you. That's something we all have because of sin. If you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then God has given you something that you're good at that benefits the community of believers, all right? And if you look at this list, I know it's not exhaustive, but he says prophecy, right? And biblical prophecy was less about uh, predicting the future and more about speaking for God. And look at what he says. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy, and this should go to every spiritual gift, you must use it in proportion to your faith. In other words, you have to use your gift in proportion to how much skill, talent, etc. God has given you. So maybe, for instance, you're gifted at teaching smaller groups, but you're really queasy about getting up on stage and talking to a lot of people. So then teach small groups. You know, Paul, Paul goes on, he talks about um, service. Like we're all called to serve, but some people have a gift. He talks about teaching or exhortation, preaching, contributing. You see this? In the middle there, it is, if it is contributing, he must do so with sincerity. Uh, sometimes spiritual gifts are financial. If God has blessed you with the spiritual gift of giving, then you're supposed to give. Uh, and he goes on, he talks about leadership, he talks about mercy. Um, for instance, uh, Miss Cindy, is Miss Cindy in here? There you are. I'm going to call her out. So Miss, Miss Cindy has a gift for hospitality. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you've probably been a recipient of her hospitality. I remember when CJ was born, she was the first person to bring us food. And I should have told everybody else not to come. 
because there was a pallet pretty much of food. And it was, it was up to me to put away as much as I could because CJ wasn't eating a whole lot of that. Um, but it was amazing. It was delicious. And she has a spiritual gift from God of hospitality, and she uses it to bless the community of believers. And that's how it should work. There are many people that you don't know that get little blessings from Miss Cindy. And sometimes the blessings box gets fresh chocolate pies, and I have to restrain Jimmy from going to take the food from the blessings box. <laughs> this is not yours. So what I want to ask us is, have you chosen to be part of a community? Have you developed, have you built relationships? And are you using your gifts to benefit the church? Now, if you have questions about your gifts or how you can use them to benefit this church or any community of believers, I'm not saying that this is it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with attending and getting to know a church and then slowly working in. But if you've been attending for a while and you're, you're not getting plugged in, you're not doing anything then I would just encourage you to look at developing those relationships, look at seeing how you can use your gifts, or even talking to Jimmy and I about maybe there's another place in the kingdom of believers for you. You know, this church is just one little element, and we're not in competition with any other church in town. We want you here, but more importantly, we want you where God wants you. Um, I was, Jimmy was talking to an individual. It's a long story. I'll have to tell you. Um, we have, anyway, I won't go into it, but he was talking to an individual, and he was telling him about this church, and he literally said, you come, and if it's not the right place for you, then we'll find you the right place, right? That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, there's a, a story that I'm going to end with. Um, this comes from a, a, a story that was written by a journalist named Mitch Smith from a New York Times article on April 29th, 2018. And in April of 2018, wildfires tore across western Oklahoma. They scorched 350,000 acres across the region, left two dead, and blackened mile after mile of pasture. Farmers in Visay, Oklahoma, and who knows where Visay, Oklahoma is? Anybody? It should be pronounced Vici because it's Veni Vidi Vici, but they don't know how to speak Latin, so it's pronounced Visay. Just like we, some of our towns, right? Uh, what, what do we, we pronounce some stuff weird here. Yeah, Greenville. But like Palestine, uh, what else do we do? There's another town in Texas that we pronounce wrong. Anyway, or Caleb. Huh? Yeah, Paris. <laughs> I think we, even us could do that. Uh, Caleb, my brother, lived in um, El Dorado. You would think it was El Dorado, Arkansas, but they called it El Dorado. El Dorado El, I can't remember. It was something weird. Anyway, Versailles, Oklahoma. It's in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. So farmers there had no idea how they were going to feed their cattle who were marooned on grassless patches of charred red soil. When wildfires strike cattle country, the list of needs is long and expensive. Hurt cows have to see the vet. Fences must be replaced. Barns need to be rebuilt. Perhaps most urgently, the surviving cattle have to eat. So each time a major fire devastates the Great Plains, an informal but robust hay delivery system kicks into gear, powered by Facebook messages, word of mouth, and the honor system. Free hay arrived the year before in Kansas after the state's largest wildfire on record left thousands of cows dead and countless others with nothing to graze. It came by the truckload to eastern Montana the summer before when flames destroyed huge swaths of grassland. If the bales didn't arrive in Oklahoma, many ranchers would likely have had to sell their herds. But 
Before the fires were out, the hay came. It came stacked on pickup trucks, strapped on the semis, from a few counties away, from halfway across the country. The hay was free, provided not by lawmakers in Washington or Oklahoma City, surprise, surprise, but mostly by strangers and other corners of rural America. Rhett Smith's ranch on a gravel road outside of Tologa, Oklahoma, which I thought was a fairy tale town. Tologa, Oklahoma was directly in the flame's path. Unlike some of his neighbors, Mr. Smith saved his house and his 100 cows, but his grass was gone. So when two tractor trailers carrying 64 bales of hay rolled down Mr. Smith's winding driveway, a sense of relief washed over him. The hay would be enough to feed his cattle and his neighbor's herds for at least a few weeks. The trucks were driven by Levi Smith and his brother Blake, who raised cattle about 100 miles from Versailles along the Kansas-Oklahoma border. The brothers had never met Rhett Smith before. They're no relation to him, but they said they empathized with all he was going through. The family, their family's land had burned last year, the brothers said, and donated hay had gotten their cattle through it. They think it can't get any worse, said Levi, but when these loads of hay come in, it gives you hope. In the sparsely populated counties where cattle roam, people rely on neighbors and take pride in giving help without being asked. The Oklahoma fires, which burned an area about the size of Chicago and New York City put together, made relatively few national headlines. But in agricultural circles, and especially in places that have seen their own fires, word of the destruction spread swiftly. Prairie fires are a fact of life on the Great Plains, but recent years have brought a series of unusually strong multi-day blazes that set records and spread out of control. When Travis Brown lost much of his pasture in Montana's fires last summer, other ranchers sent hay. So, when Mr. Brown heard about the new fires in Oklahoma, he and three other Montana ranchers paid to send more than 100 hay bales to Oklahoma. I remember the feeling of just being overwhelmed. After seeing so much of our livelihood burn, Mr. Brown said, the smoke hadn't even cleared away yet, and people are saying, you're going to be okay. And that is what a community is. Before you got here today, a volunteer arrived to start your coffee and tea. Others arrived to rehearse the music. Then more people showed up to teach your children in Sunday school, to care for them in children's church or nursery. Yesterday, some of them are here for a memorial reception. Tomorrow, others are going to be here to use the building who don't even attend. Some give money out of their need, some out of their want, to keep the lights and the AC on. Which volunteers count, deposit, and steward. A few days ago, a pie was taken to a recovering member. Next week, two couples go out to dinner to fellowship and laugh. This is community, full of people who love the Lord and realize that his greatest gift on earth to us is each other. There are people in this community, in this church, who are going through heartache, tragedy, hard times. Surround them, love on them, be there for them. And if you're one of those people, if you're going through something, make sure your community is aware. Whether it's at the top of the mountain or the depths of the valley, let's walk this path together. Let's be a community. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your gift of your son and salvation. We thank you for one day heaven. But Father, we also thank you that for now, while we're here, until you come back, you have given us each other. 
And Father, I pray for the individual here online who feels like they're not in community, who feels alone. Father, help us to form and maintain this community. Help us build that relationship. Help us use our gifts to better the community of believers. Help us be what Paul told us to be in Romans 12. Help help us be what you have commanded us to be. Help us be who you have created us to be. Let us be the body of Christ. Let us be your hands and your feet. Let us show the world that there is something different about believers. Let us be there for each other in the hard times and in the good times. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.